clustering around young Bingo, we have the pleasure of meeting not only Aunt Dahlia, but also Anatole, the cook, whose achievements are usually described by Bertie with spasms of rapture. He attains a sort of mystical status in his eyes. Here we catch just a glimpse while he is cooking for Bingo and Mrs. Little. I blotted the last page of my manuscript and sank back, feeling more or less of a spent force. After an incredible sweat of the old brow, the thing seemed to be in pretty fair shape when I was just reading it through and debating whether to bung in another paragraph at the end when there was a tap at the door and Jeeves appeared. Mrs. Travers, sir, on the telephone. Oh, I said, preoccupied, don't you know? Yes, sir. She presents her compliments and would be glad to know what progress you have made with the article which you are writing for her. Jeeves, can a man mention men's knee-length underclothing in a woman's paper? No, sir. Then tell her it's finished. Very good, sir. And Jeeves, when you're through, come back. I want you to cast your eye over this effort and give it the OK. My Aunt Dahlia, who runs a woman's paper called Milady's Boudoir, had recently backed me into a corner and made me promise to write her a few authoritative words for her husband's and brother's page on what the well-dressed man is wearing. I believe in encouraging aunts when deserving, and as there are many worse eggs than her knocking about the metrop, I had consented blithely. But I give you my honest word that if I had had the foggiest notion of what I was letting myself in for, not even a nephew's devotion would have kept me from giving her the raspberry. A deuce of a job it had been, taxing the physique to the utmost. I don't wonder now that all these author blokes have bald heads and faces like birds who have suffered. Jeeves, I said, when he came back, you don't read a paper called Milady's Boudoir by any chance, do you? No, sir. The periodical has not come to my notice. Well, spring sixpence on it next week, because this article will appear in it. Worcester on the well-dressed man, don't you know? Indeed, sir. Yes, indeed, Jeeves. I've rather extended myself over this little bijou. There's a bit about socks that I think you'll like. He took the manuscript, brooded over it, and smiled, a gentle, approving smile. The sock passage is quite in the proper vein, sir, he said. Well expressed, what? Extremely, sir. I watched him narrowly as he read on, and as I was expecting, what you might call the love light suddenly died out of his eyes. I braced myself for an unpleasant scene. Come to the bit about soft silk shirts for evening wear, I asked carelessly. Yes, sir, said Jeeves, in a low, cold voice, as if he had been bitten in the leg by a personal friend. And if I may be pardoned for saying so, you don't like it? No, sir, I do not. Soft silk shirts with evening costume are not worn, sir. Jeeves, I said, looking the blighter diametrically in the centre of the eyeball, they're dashed well going to be. 
I may as well tell you now that I have ordered a dozen of those shirtings from Peabody and Sims, and it's no good looking like that because I am jolly well adamant. If I might... No, Jeeves, I said, raising my hand. Argument is useless. Nobody has a greater respect than I have for your judgment in socks, in ties, and I will go farther in spats. But when it comes to evening shirts, your nerve seems to fail you. You have no vision. You are prejudiced and reactionary. Hidebound is the word that suggests itself. It may interest you to learn that when I was at Latouque, the Prince of Wales buzzed into the casino one night with soft silk shirt complete. His Royal Highness, sir, may permit himself a certain license, which in your own case... No, Jeeves, I said firmly. It's no use. When we Worcesters are adamant, we are, well, uh, adamant, if you know what I mean. Very good, sir. I could see the man was wounded, and of course the whole episode had been extremely jarring and unpleasant. But these things have to be gone through. Is one a serf, or isn't one? That's what it all boils down to. Having made my point, I changed the subject. Well, that's that, I said. We now approach another topic. Do you know any housemaids, Jeeves? Housemaids, sir? Oh, come, come, Jeeves. You know what housemaids are. Are you requiring a housemaid, sir? No, but Mr. Little is. I met him at the club a couple of days ago, and he told me that Mrs. Little is offering rich rewards to anybody who will find her one guaranteed to go light on the china. Indeed, sir. Yes, the one now in office apparently runs through the objet like a typhoon, simoom, sirocco. So, if you know any... Oh, I know a great many, sir. Some intimately, others mere acquaintances. Well, start digging round among the old pals. And... Now, the hat, the stick, other necessaries. I must be getting along and handing in this article. The offices of Milady's Boudoir were in one of those rummy streets in the Covent Garden neighbourhood, and I had just got to the front door, after wading through a deep top-dressing of old cabbages and tomatoes, when who should come out but Mrs. Little? She greeted me with a warmth due to the old family friend, in spite of the fact that I hadn't been round to the house for a goodish while. Whatever are you doing in these parts, Bertie? I thought you never came east of Leicester Square. I've come to deliver an article of sorts, which my Aunt Dahlia asked me to write. She edits a species of journal up those stairs, Milady's Boudoir. What a coincidence. I've just promised to write an article for her, too. Oh, don't you do it, I said earnestly. You've simply no notion what a ghastly labour. Oh, but of course, I was forgetting you're used to it, what? Silly of me to have talked like that. Young Mingo Little, if you remember, had married the famous female novelist Rosie M. Banks, author of some of the most pronounced and widely read tripe ever put on the market. Naturally, a mere article would be pie for her. No, I don't think it'll give me much trouble, she said. Your aunt has suggested a most delightful subject. Oh, that's good. By the way, I spoke to my man Jeeves about getting you a housemaid. He knows all the hummers. Oh, thank you so much. Are you doing anything tomorrow night, by the way? Not a thing. Then do come and dine with us. Your aunt is coming and hopes to bring your uncle. I am looking forward to meeting him. Thanks. Delighted. 
I mean it too. The little household may be weak on housemaids, but it is right there when it comes to cooks. Somewhere or other some time ago, Bingo's missus managed to dig up a Frenchman of the most extraordinary vim and skill, a most amazing Johnny who dishes a wicked ragout. Old Bingo has put on at least ten pounds in weight since this fellow Anatole arrived in the home. At eight, then? Oh, right, thanks ever so much. She popped off and I went upstairs to hand in my copy, as we boys of the press call it. I found Aunt Dahlia immersed to the gills in papers of all descriptions. I'm not much of a lad for my relatives as a general thing, but I've always been very pally with Aunt Dahlia. She married my Uncle Thomas, between ourselves a bit of a squirt, the year Bluebottle won the Cambridgeshire, and they hadn't got halfway down the aisle before I was saying to myself, that woman is much too good for the old bird. Aunt Dahlia is a large, genial soul, the sort you see in dozens on the hunting field. As a matter of fact, until she married Uncle Thomas, she put in most of her time on horseback, but he won't live in the country, so nowadays she expends her energy on this paper of hers. She came to the surface as I entered and flung a cheery book at my head. Hello, Bertie. I say, have you really finished that article? To the last comma. Good boy. My gosh, I'll bet it's rotten. On the contrary, it's extremely hot stuff and most of it approved by Jeeves, what's more. The bit about soft silk shirts got in amongst him a trifle, but you can take it from me, Aunt Dahlia, that they are the latest yodel and will be much seen at first nights and other occasions where society assembled. Your man Jeeves, said Aunt Dahlia, flinging the article into a basket and skewering a few loose pieces of paper on a sort of meat hook, is a washout, and you can tell him I said so. Oh, come, I said. He may not be sound on shirtings. I'm not referring to that. As long as a week ago I asked him to get me a cook, and he hasn't found one yet. Great Scott is Jeeves a domestic employment agency. Mrs. Little wants him to find her a housemaid. I met her outside. She tells me she's doing something for you. Yes, thank goodness. I'm relying on it to bump up the circulation a bit. I can't read her stuff myself, but women love it. Her name on the cover will mean a lot, and we need it. Paper not doing well. Doing all right, really, but it's got to be a slow job building up a circulation. I suppose so. I can get Tom to see that in his lucid moments, said Aunt Dahlia, skewering a few more papers, but just at present the poor fathead has got one of his pessimistic spells. It's entirely due to that mechanic who calls herself a cook. A few more of her alleged dinners and Tom will refuse to go on paying the printer's bills. Oh, you don't mean that. I do mean it. There was what she called Rie de Vaux à la financière last night, which made him talk for three quarters of an hour about good money going to waste and nothing to show for it. I quite understood, and I was dashed sorry for her. My Uncle Thomas is a cove who made a colossal pile of money out in the East, but in doing so put his digestion on the blink. This has made him a tricky proposition to handle. Many a time I've lunched with him and found him perfectly chirpy up to the fish, only to have him turn blue on me well before the cheese. Who was that lad that used to try to make me read at Oxford? Ship, shop, shop and her, that's the name. A grouch of the most pronounced 
description. Well, Uncle Thomas, when his gastric juices have been giving him the elbow, can make Schopenhauer look like Pollyanna. And the worst of it is, from Aunt Dahlia's point of view, that on these occasions he always seems to think he's on the brink of ruin and wants to start to economise. Pretty tough, I said. Well, anyway, he'll get one good dinner tomorrow night at the Littles. Can you guarantee that, Bertie? asked Aunt Dahlia earnestly. I simply daren't risk unleashing him on anything at all wonky. They've got a marvellous cook. I haven't been round there for some time, but unless he's lost his form of two months ago, Uncle Thomas is going to have the treat of a lifetime. It'll only make it all the worse for him coming back to our steak incinerator, said Aunt Dahlia, a bit on the Schopenhauer side herself. The little nest where Bingo and his bride had settled themselves was up in St John's Wood, one of those rather jolly houses with a bit of a garden. When I got there on the following night, I found that I was the last to weigh in. Aunt Dahlia was chatting with Rosie in a corner, while Uncle Thomas, standing by the mantelpiece with Bingo, sucked down a cocktail in a frowning, suspicious sort of manner, rather like a chappie having a short snort before dining with the Borgers as if he were saying to himself that even if this particular cocktail wasn't poisoned, he was bound to cop it later on. Well, I hadn't expected anything in the nature of beaming joie de vivre from Uncle Thomas, so I didn't pay much attention to him. What did surprise me was the extraordinary gloom of young Bingo. You may say what you'd like against Bingo, but nobody has ever found him a depressing host. Why, many a times in the days of his bachelorhood, I've known him to start throwing bread before the soup course, Yet now he and Uncle Thomas were a pair. He looked haggard and careworn, like a borger who has suddenly remembered that he has forgotten to shove cyanide into the consomme and the dinner gong due at any moment. And the mystery wasn't helped at all by with one remark he made to me before conversation became general. As he poured out my cocktail, he suddenly bent forward. Bertie, he whispered in a nasty, feverish manner, I want to see you. Life and death matter. Be in tomorrow morning. Well, that was all. Immediately after that, the starting gun went and we toddled down to the festive. And from that moment, I'm bound to say, in the superior interests of the proceedings, he rather faded out of my mind. For good old Anatole, braced presumably by the fact of there being guests, had absolutely surpassed himself. I am not a man who speaks hastily in these matters. I weigh my words. And I say again that Anatole had surpassed himself. It was as good a dinner as I have ever absorbed, and it revived Uncle Thomas like a watered flower. As we sat down, he was saying some things about the government which they wouldn't have cared to hear. With the consommé pâté d'Italie, he said, but what could you expect nowadays? With the paupiette de sole à la princesse, he admitted rather decently that the government couldn't be held responsible for the rotten weather anyway. And shortly after the Canantor Aylesbury à la broche, he was practically giving the lads the benefit of his wholehearted support. Mm -hmm.